Good morning and welcome to Real Estate and Coffee. My name is Joel Arndt. Today is Wednesday, October 2nd, 2019. Here's a real estate conversation while you enjoy your morning coffee. This is a conversation with my investing partner, William. We were on the road back from St. Catharines. We've just been putting up some signs and uh, looking for wholesale deals. William has some unique experience in the stock market and investing in mortgages. And so to get his take on what we've been talking about for the last couple of weeks is pretty fresh. So if you have your coffee ready and you have some time to yourself, this will be about 34, 35 minutes and you can enjoy the conversation. Some of the stuff that's been that I've been reading uh, is about apartment REITs, real estate investment trusts, mm-hmm. and they're loving it right now. I know um, personally, I've done that. I have a REIT with Olympia Trust. Oh yeah. And the legacy courses mentioned. There's a few. There's Community Trust, Olympia Trust, and there's two others, but I forget the names of them off the top of my head. Yeah. We could maybe. Put that provide that later like yeah. a link in the description box or yeah. whatever but uh yeah i have it with Equitime, and it's doing quite well it's at least a five percent return really so you just you, you like you just have a, a certain amount invested in uh, with olympia trust and just shares of the one yeah, REIT? It's, it's, it's just a one REIT right now yeah. if i had more money in my rsp i'd be able to do uh, uh an rsp mortgage that's sort of what the purpose of Olympia Trust is. So is Olympia's, what are they investing in? Do they have actual properties or are they just, uh, like are, are, do you have shares and mortgages kind of thing? It's almost like owning a st- kind of like a stock. So I own shares in one, there's, they have two, with Equiton they have two different ones. I forget both the names off the top of my head, but the one I'm in mainly focuses on apartment buildings, yeah. as I remember. Yeah. And they have another one that targets different kinds of houses. But, uh, yeah, they have two funds available. It's called Equiton. And yeah. so you open the account with Olympia Trust first, oh, and then, and then, they and then you purchase through them. Yeah. But like I said, I mainly was interested in it because they do the RRSP mortgages. Yeah. And there's that book called The RRSP Secret by yeah. Greg Habstrit. Uh, have that's you read good, it? That's a good book, yeah. I, uh, it's amazing all the stuff you can do with your RRSP. I need to read that one. I haven't read it yet. It's on my wish list. So that's actually been something that I've been looking at a lot. Like I have a watch list of REITs. I haven't invested yet, just mostly because I've been hoping to put my money into um, properties and stuff. But the been watching a lot of how they perform, and then you know doing real estate and coffee. It's just like real estate news. So following what these bigger companies are doing, it's very interesting. Actually, just uh, this morning I read. Uh, it was a, a, a panel of, there was a, an apartment investing conference uh-huh. in Toronto back at the beginning of September. And, they, and there was a panel of directors and executives from different REITs and just talking about where they're investing and stuff like that. Um, a little bit in, uh, out west, Alberta. Uh, a lot in Ontario, a little bit in Montreal. So funny enough, Montreal 
is actually really attractive to a lot of REITs right now because the market, or the rental market, is really is really strong. I mean, it's really strong in Toronto too, but it doesn't make sense to build apartment buildings in Toronto as much, just financially. There's not a whole lot of incentive for it. It makes more sense to build condo buildings. So, like, there was a report that the, that RBC put out uh, last week, and it talked about the, the number of rental units under construction versus the number of condo units under construction, and it compared oh, yeah. four cities. Um, so Toronto has like 50,000, over 50,000, almost 60,000 rental units under construction right now. It only has 5,000. Um, 5,000 uh, rental units under construction right now. Oh, that's not very many. They got such a booming population. Right? They're going to need way more than that. And then, but Montreal has like 11,000 apartment unit or rental units under construction versus... Well, they're a big city too, right? Yeah, it's just... They, they even make that easier. number, even though that's a larger number, that's still not a very big number. Well, exactly. That's not even half of what's needed. So, the, I don't know what Montreal will be like, but Toronto, they're saying it needs, in the next the next two years, it needs to put 26, almost 27,000 rental units on the market to fill the demand. Just to catch up and fill demand for the next two years. And they're wow. not anywhere near that. Yeah, it sucks. So anyway, these these REIT execs were talking about um, how they love, like it's just really good time to be in apartment investing right now because the rental market is strong and they can go in, they have, a lot of them have all these properties anyway, they can go in and repurpose them to, for more densification. Um, although, one, I think it was Capri, Canadian Apartment Properties Real Estate Investment Trust, I think is what it's called. They're actually just zoning. They're like, they hold a bunch of land and they're just zoning all of the land and getting all of the, all the like legal crap in place. And they're just going to sit on it for a few years because they, I, like, I don't know why. I, I, I forget. It makes more sense for them to, to not build yet in the different markets. I think one market might be Burlington. They, um, Burlington I know is... They actually froze all development. Yeah. Uh -huh. Anyway, so it's just reading some of that and seeing like how they operate. Like, I don't want to go. <laughs> I know you kind of need to start small and stuff, but I almost don't want to start any smaller than four units. You mean to develop? Yeah. Or to or to even invest in, like to find partners and go in and just. I wouldn't want to go any smaller than four units. It's, uh, it seems like a good time to invest in those kind of apartments. And, and I know that there are a lot of investors that I personally talk to. They want to... Well, yeah, definitely a one or a two unit isn't going to be worth someone's while. That's why it's, it's good to be creative about how you structure deals and you can partner with people and do like... Uh, forget what they're called the sun like multiple people involved in syndication syndicate mortgages and stuff yeah. yeah and that's definitely a more creative way to do things well it gets you gives you access to just bigger deals generally more cash flow more profit so that's kind of grant cardone's thing too yeah you're really uh, i noticed some of your posts on linkedin are they paying you a fee to no. uh promote it? No, Irwin's been extremely generous to me. Um, he 
while he had me on the podcast. Uh, he uh, was letting me, like I've been volunteering at the uh, Iowa meetings, and you know, I feel like anything I can do to give back is worth it. Um, plus, I'm going, and it's something I believe in, and it, not long ago, I identified like as a personal goal. Why am I doing this real estate investment thing? Why do I want to take this as far as I want to take it? And it's mostly mostly because I want to get to a place where I can help other people start businesses. Uh, I want to show other people how, like, first of all, I want to get financially independent. And then I want to show other people how to be financially independent. And that's that's everything that I win and the Wealth Hacker Conference are all about. So I'll promote it. Kind of lines up with my beliefs. Yeah, and it's pretty sweet that you got me uh, free tickets for that. <laughs> so I'm excited to go to it. Yeah, def- definitely. Winning a contest, that's pretty sweet. And it was a contest I didn't even know I was entered in. So that's, <laughs> that's even nicer. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That was way back in the beginning when they first announced that Grant Cardone was coming. Was it like May or April? Um, how much... Switch gears a little how much does real estate factor into this into your election decision? You don't have to say who, who you're even favoring, but like, how much does a party stance on housing, on, on real estate investment, on business, that kind of thing, does that factor into? Well, I used to be. Well, my family were big into the NDP with affordable housing, and I think you have to have. Definitely, we got to have some compassion and try to have some kind of affordable housing, yeah. but it should be more geared towards mixed units, yeah. like not just creating these ghettos of poor people all clustered in one area. Yeah. It's got to be a mixture, and you have to give incentives to the private sector for them to create more rental units. That's not necessarily always going to be affordable housing. Yeah. Ultimately, you have a right to some sort of accommodation but necessarily isn't necessarily a house or a whatever, like, yep. so, again, this this election year, I'm not sure who I'm voting for yet. Yeah, me neither. So, it's an open question. Okay, so here's an interesting thing. I was reading through uh, the, the platforms last night, and CBC has an excellent comparison, of, I was telling you earlier, they have an excellent website that compares the part, each party's platform on... Um, uh, on different topics and points. And so housing was is obviously one of them. The Green Party, I saw this and I was like, oh man, the Green Party. Yeah. Uh, I gotta get my facts straight now. They want to identify housing as a basic human, as a basic human need. It's somewhat like water, electricity, uh, and heat. Well, I would say that definitely some kind of shelter yeah. is, is some sort of a right, but it's like how big, what size, that sort of thing is, is up for discussion. My concern with that is, so the minute that happens, it becomes a highly regulated industry because it is now like a basic need, and it's now regulated like every other, it's a utility now. It's now regulated like every other utility. Uh-huh, yes. Honestly, I think it'll probably kill incentives to create more rental units. That would be, or only the biggest players are going to be willing to get into it because the regulation, to meet regulations, the demand will be, or what's that, the 
um, those requirements if he's so, such a high demand that the individual investor I, I think, can do I it. think what we need to go more towards is that ownership is an important concept. You have to give people ownership, otherwise they don't take care of it. That's so ideally we want to move away from rental units and give people more of a, a stake. It's like, it's like why with my investing, I haven't gone out and decided to rent an apartment and live on my own Yeah. because I want to have ownership of it. I want it to be something like, well, this is my thing. Yeah. Whereas if I just rent, there's no incentive for me to take care of it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So there's, there's definitely a more balanced approach that we have to go towards. Like, again, that's just me. Like, that's an interesting, con- like it's a, it's, that is a proven concept, but it's Whereas a- if we just give people free houses, yes. yeah. it doesn't, they have no incentive to take care of it. So it's like, like and I don't think the NDP necessarily, or sorry, the Green Party necessarily is talking about free houses, but they are talking about like, high, like highly housing regulated. Housing is a right, but it yeah. basically means that, well, well, so is they're going to pay, the government's going to pay for it and they got to tax no, somebody, right? Okay. So here's how, it, here's how it works for the other utilities. Okay. So, um. Electricity is a right. Uh, internet might be a right now. I don't know if they've gone that far yet. Um, heat is a right and water is a right. And so uh, they, those industries become now have government oversight to a much heavier degree. We still have to pay for heat, for, uh, for hydro, and, um, and for our water. But it's... It's regulated as a utility. Yeah, I mean, like the... High, um, the a utility company is a borderline is like a quasi governmental company. The water is all is all. And, you know, I, I can kind of get behind city. that in, in some sense because it's like public ownership. It's like this this notion that it, it's it's a democratic influence on it. But at the same time, there have to be incentives for people yeah. to create the units. I think it so, would kill. I think it would a it would kill the individual investor's ability to actually invest in real estate, and so that I'm not in favor of. And I think it would make. So think about like having to. Um, like we have no control over our electricity bill. We have no control over our water bills. We have no control over. Uh, it's almost like hydro. a monopoly. It's like a monopoly, exactly. right? Only the biggest companies can now. Now, I mean, anyway. So you couldn't like uh, if you can't buy and you're renting, like as a landlord, it'd be interesting. I just I don't see that. It's a very very extreme move that I don't see. But I, the the ownership piece. I want to come back to that. It would be interesting to play with the idea and think through how would you how as a landlord could you create ownership in a property uh, financially so that it's almost like a rent to own like a, a minor rent to own scenario where you are me as a as a tenant actually has shared ownership in in my apartment or my house that I'm renting and how, like how would is that possible so the rent that I'm well, paying you can do it in pieces right you yeah. can say like okay you're gonna buy the hot water tank and you own that part of the house right because hot water tanks and water cooler water meter things are like a separate thing right yeah it's like how they make how uh, 
Um, when you rent a place, you'll have to pay the utilities. Yeah. It's the same, so it's a, like a rental for your hot water thing. You could own that, and you could have your tenants own various pieces of the property, but not necessarily the whole thing. That's, a, that's an interesting point. Yeah. You can do that, like the appliances and stuff. Yeah, the appliances. Yeah, you own the appliances. And yeah. That gives you, at least you're going to take care of that yeah. part of the house, right? There's also, um, so to actually have ownership in the property itself, if it would be interesting if, if lenders or banks would look at rent as a form of ownership. You don't necessarily have any equity in it, any equity in the property, yeah. but to look at, um, but is there a way to give you? So like for every, every month that, or every year that you pay on time or whatever, you now you now are considered to have maybe like 0.05% equity in this property and that builds over time and so if the owner should ever sell let's say you stay so that that kind of like stay in the property now if the owner ever decides to sell it's it could it could remain the owner's decision to sell because they're the ones on title yes it could make, remain their decision to sell maybe they they you you have first right of refusal. So if you could technically qualify for the mortgage, um, you could you, you come to an agreement with the owner. Like that's kind of common. I've seen that happen before, but like that would be an interesting thing to, to play with as a landlord. But also like, okay, you are now, we now have a joint venture agreement with with you as a tenant. You have every year that you, that we have don't have any problems with, you know, and, and you're still, you've paid on time and everything like that you get 0.5, you get half a percentage of interest. So after like 10 years, you have 5% interest and you can do whatever you want with that. If you you could, you could sell it back, you yes. could um, use that like as collateral maybe for uh, like a down payment or something uh, or, you know, so like that would be interesting to look at. I don't know how that would work exactly. Yeah, almost like what you said before, like a rent-to-own kind of scenario. It at least gives the person some sort of skin in the game. Yeah, right? but long-term, and you're not. it's not like capped out at a three- or five-year thing. And once someone decides to move, they have equity. They have an equity. They have equity in the place, in the apartment, in the house that they were renting that they can use <coughs> towards whatever their next move is. Or they could just reinvest it. In, in something else, maybe like buy, like yeah, take a buy. So, what's your response to people that say eh, rent tones are a scam? Well, it depends on who you're. You know, I've heard, I've heard. First of all, it depends on who you're renting from. Second of all, I've heard big, uh, you know, bigger professional investors say yes. that rent to owns are a scam. Like they don't agree with the whole model, um, and I can see why. There's Yeah. There's a lot that the tenant buyer is putting down and putting at risk. And, and it's not guaranteed, right? Like exactly. Go and it's not, yeah. And they're and it's a massive they're making a massive rent payment in the hopes that, you know, they can eventually buy the house. So I think I like ideally I think it's a good theory. I think it's helped people out. I don't I think just like everything else, it has its downfalls. But to paint all rent-to-owns as a scam, I think you really have to know 
who you're renting from? It's a concept that I'm not that familiar with. I never took the legacy courses about it, but uh, from what I see, it's a, uh, as a theory, it makes sense to me, and it's a concept that I think it's a good idea. Like I said, it gives people more skin in the game. So, For people with bad credit, particularly, yes, I think it's a really good option. Um, it's not good for someone who's just getting into the market, or, like, it could be, but um, maybe they don't have a... a if they're looking to get in without much of a down payment, like it's not, and, and maybe they don't have an awesome job, like it, it's not like that. That's not the way you get in. But maybe maybe you had a maybe you have a great job, but you just have terrible credit, like, and you're trying to repair your credit, and you know you have the ability, you have access to cash of some sort, whether it's a down payment or whatever. Or maybe like a lot of people, it's divorce. Yes. Divorce just ruins credit because of like lawyers' fees and stuff, and. Um, but they can still have, like, if they have good jobs, if they're middle class earners, and especially, like, the, you can eventually save up. And so, once you get to a certain point, and so it makes sense for, there's definitely a demographic for it. That's why people are making, like, investors, rental investors are making money on it. Um, so I think it works. Again, just gotta be, gotta be careful who you're renting from. Gotta make sure they have a track record of actually helping people out, I think. Yeah, definitely. Um, what do you think of the first time homebuyer incentive? I think it's a good thing. Have you been able to take a look at it much? Not really, no. I wouldn't say I'm an expert on it. But I think the theory, like the concept of giving people to, to buy a house is a good thing. What I want to figure out is, because it works on anything that's classified, it, it, it'll work on any property classified as residential. I want to know if that, if they would lend on a fourplex. Live in it as your primary residence. I don't think so. I think what it's intended for is like a small single family kind of home. It's again, it's to give people a sense of ownership and that way if they own something, going to take care of them, right? Yeah, yeah. So you want to have people living, ideally not renting and not living in apartments, want them to live in, like, a, like I said, a single family home kind of thing. I think a fourplex going in that direction is too much more like an apartment, and that defeats, I think, the reason behind the incentive is, like I said, to give people ownership. Yep. So... Now, would it make more? Wouldn't it make more sense for the government to invest in an income-generating property than just a home, than just someone's home? It would, yeah, it would make more sense, like ideally, like apartment buildings and stuff, because they can hold more people. But the problem with apartments and stuff is you get like these ghettos, right? You get all these poor people so, living in one area. I'm not talking about like as a as a public like, as public publicly funding, you know, housing. I'm talking like let's say me, who would be a first-time home buyer. Let's say I move to a market like Windsor or Brantford, where you can find a fourplex for, you could probably, well, okay, maybe you can find a, a, a threeplex, a triplex for uh, $500,000, which is what the cap is right now. It's, um, so, let's say I find a triplex, $500,000, qualifies numbers-wise, qualifies. I move in to one of the units, it is now my primary residence. That's also a qualification. It has to be a primary residence. But you mean if you use that incentive to then rent out the other units? So I use that incentive to buy the triplex 
and then I rent out, I manage the property as if it's my own investment property. So I am now making money on this property. I, I think, like I said, the concept behind it is that I'm more meant for like family type dwellings. Yeah. Like it's a very middle class, liberal family kind of thing. Not to make little mini landlords. That's, again, that's just how I understand it. Yeah, not, not, I, I wouldn't be surprised if that was the case. It makes me wonder if that's possible because one of Justin Trudeau's um, promises, uh, election promises, is to lift that $500,000 limit to $800,000. And now you're completely open. Now, like, um, you, could, you could buy a duplex or, or a triplex in Hamilton for $800,000 in cash flow because rent is so high. So, like, it, and not to mention any other, I wouldn't necessarily want to do that in Hamilton, but like go to another market where it's more affordable, buy a fourplex for four, for five or six hundred thousand dollars, get help from the government, and bam, you're in. Like, I don't know, it just like that would be my play. That would be something that I would want to look at. I don't know that they would want to do that. Like, I can see your point. It might not be intended for that, but if they would allow it, I'd well, I think they're the, like I said, it's oriented towards having this like stereotypical suburban family yeah. live in a single family house in the suburbs yeah. kind of thing yeah. again to give people a sense of uh, ownership or yeah. get them at least on that path right yeah but i mean again i don't know yeah. so. no it's fine it's cool um do you pay attention to do you pay attention to like overarching like economic stuff at all like the inverted yield curve and what the markets are doing and interest rates and stuff like I that. I did some investing personal investing and made money with it with stocks yeah and the way I always based it on was did I believe in the product or service or the company yeah I picked dividend paying stocks I never really paid attention to too many curves or algorithms or anything like that although I perhaps I should have but I just went by intuition I'm like is this a valuable product to people that sort of thing. I don't know that that would classify as intuition. That sounds like a pretty measured approach, which is smart. Um, do uh, what? Uh, can I ask what you invested in? I picked all boring dividend-paying stocks like the railroad, yeah, um, hydro, yeah, all, all sort of stuff that again, they've proven companies that paid dividends. Yeah. Which is again why I did it, and then the rest of the stuff was risky, speculative stuff with cannabis stocks. Oh yeah. And the cannabis stocks all did well, but then it started to fluctuate too much, and I got a little bit nervous because it was fluctuating quite a bit. Yeah. And then I decided now I'm gonna take out my money and invest in mutual funds. Yeah. Just because uh, again it's less risky. So. How's that been with the mutual funds? Um, it's been okay, but again no impressive returns. Like with the uh, stocks that I did, I made about. How much was it? Five or six grand. Okay. You know, in a, in a year. Yeah. Whereas with the mutual funds, it's significantly less. Yeah. It's hovering maybe four or five percent return. Yeah. It's probably mutual funds are more just to protect your money rather than like actually. Yeah, you're money. not. No one gets rich in mutual funds. <laughs> no, no, definitely not. Have you ever tried ETFs? Exchange traded um, funds. ETFs, I think, are a little bit more. Uh, how to put it? Like, not not a scam. But it's like you can just go buy the stocks yourself. I see. It's just they bundle stocks. It's like buying a bundle of stuff. Yeah. And it's like they target certain industries and stuff. But again, if you just pick the companies yourself, I would prefer to just buy the individual stocks myself. Yeah, that's that's kind of my approach to it. The ETFs are like a compromise between a stock and a mutual fund. And I think you're better off just going either mutual fund or stock. 
in my opinion. Um, I think back in July, the number, the volume of trades, the volume of trading for ETFs uh, and index funds uh, outpaced mutual funds. Just interesting fact. Yeah, I pay attention to interest rates because that affects um, lending rates. It affects my uh, heavens. What is that? My line of credit. Uh, it affects you know, mortgages and stuff, and and the direction, the overall direction. And, and it's interesting because like what the Bank of Canada particularly does with an interest rate just. Gives gives subtle indications throughout the year about how like the central money like the money center of Canada uh-huh. feels about its co- economy. Yeah, and uh, so that's why I pay attention. That that's always interesting. Plus, I'm a, I'm a broad strokes guy. I like looking at the bigger picture, just seeing where trends are going. So you like the macro approach? Yeah, a lot. Not necessarily the micro approach. I'm more of a micro approach kind of guy. Look at the individual things by themselves, not necessarily always the bigger picture. But although the bigger picture is going to play a role, that, that that's true. That, I'm definitely more of a bigger picture. Although over time, I've developed and I've developed more of a, I guess, a sense for the micro in certain areas. But when it comes to the details, I am not strong with details. <laughs> when I did the cannabis stocks, just going back to that, I was more of a micro approach. I looked at the individual company and I'm like, yeah. do I like this product? Yeah. Is it going to make money? Like the one company I invested in, um, they're developing the breathalyzer oh, for, for cannabis wow. to know like that way if you're almost like drinking and driving. Yep. And I'm like, that's going to definitely be needed. Yeah. So invest in it, right? Yeah. Fairly simple. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Have you? Do you know who WeWork is at all? I've heard of them. Have you followed and them? And they're, and they're kind of like Netflix, where it's like <laughs> they're over, they're they're overvalued, and they yeah. don't even like they claim to have these real estate assets, but they don't even have any real estate. Yeah. As far so as I've looked into it, like, they that's an interesting one altogether. We don't have to dive into it. They are technically like as they're from operation, they are technically a. Real, uh, real estate company, but they bill themselves as a tech company. They don't like being called. They they actively correct the people when they call them a real estate company. No, we are a tech company because they don't they don't want to have. They want to be the hot new tech company or wanted to be the hot new tech company. Uh, it all fell apart because the CEO is a crazy guy and um, pretty much just like the way he was managing. Yeah, I've heard it's pretty ridiculous. I've only again read one article about them, but uh, I'm pretty sure he's stepping down. I, I don't, I don't know exactly how that's working out. But the last thing I saw was anyway. The, I just want to know if you dipped into that at all. No, again, like I said, I'm content with my money in mutual funds, so I don't do a lot of looking at individual companies anymore. For me, it's more so. So there, like I, I like looking at like what's happening in the market, kind of thing. Like who's doing what with, you know, in, in what spaces, and so I look at someone like WeWork, and they're basically leasing out massive office or, or commercial spaces, turning it into um, co-working office spaces, and like co-working is a trend. So, and they're one of the biggest players in that, or were one of the biggest players in that space. So, what are they doing? Well, they're falling apart. So, 
Why? Why are they falling apart? What does that mean for other people? Well, I think they went too big. I think that was their problem. They went too big too fast and they couldn't sustain it. So, But yeah, it's crazy because it's similar to a company like Netflix. Yes. Where they're priced so cheap, they're not really making any money. In fact, they're losing money. Yeah. Yet their stock is worth so much. Yeah. Because it's basically, it's the concept, it's the idea that matters, right? Yeah. So. I find that pretty crazy that Netflix basically is running at a loss every year, yet it's stock price and people are people are investing in it. Yeah. It's crazy because the concept of it, well, when you think about it, that reach, they have so many millions of subscribers. Yeah. It's hard to ignore and say, yeah, eventually it is going to make money, but right now it isn't. It's, it's sort of weird. It's a, almost like a paradox, kind of. Well, so this is where, you know, I, th- I think this is what Warren Buffett means. Um, when he says you know, his famous line, "Get when other people are greedy, be fearful. Yeah. When other people are fearful, get greedy. Be greedy. Yeah. So this is where people are getting greedy, and you got to take a very hard look at what people are getting greedy for, and if it's and if it's valid. Like with WeWork, people were getting greedy on that, and particularly the owner, and it fell apart. Netflix is is suffering. Their stock was worth so much at one point, but they. They weren't delivering the, delivering the profits, and it's and the, their profit estimates are, are dropping even more because of Disney coming in, of Apple coming in, and so it's just like it's one of those things where, yeah, it's kind of a real life illustration of when the hype just isn't doesn't measure up. Well, it's like that with a lot of companies. Like you even look at Uber, right? Yeah. It's the whole concept of Uber. Yeah. That that's what sells it. When you think about it, they don't really own anything. Yeah. And they're, they're like a taxi service, but yeah. it's, you know, it's again, it's the it's the it's what what do they call it? The information economy. Yeah. So the ideas are more important. It's like how can you really own an idea or sell an idea? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Um. It's not like they own hard assets like gold or, yeah, exactly. or uh, lumber or something like that. That's something that's tangible that you can hold on to. Yeah. Um, one of the, some, a couple of the companies that I'm kind of paying attention to, one's called Open Door, uh-huh. another one's called OfferPad, and Zillow's getting into the same thing that they are doing. Uh-huh. So what these guys, what these companies do is they go in, they do a whole bunch of marketing, basically like wholesalers. And they say, and like, we'll buy your house. They go in and they, like, we'll, we'll buy your house for you. Or we'll buy your house from you. And they'll give you an offer. And then they'll put out an inspector. And the inspector will say, okay, these are the repairs that need to be done. And you can either pay for the, pay for the repairs for us to buy it at this price. Or we can price the repairs in. And then they buy houses like that. And then they just resale them. So they're just like, and then they, they do the repairs and they resell them. And so they're mm-hmm. acting as wholesalers or wholetailers technically, um, putting minor fixes into it and um, and just reselling the house as quickly as possible. That's interesting concept. Both, are, and, and they're gaining a lot of ground um, in, uh, like in Arizona, they're big. Uh, in Washington State, I think they're pretty big. Oregon, maybe. Um, maybe some Midwestern states as well. Um, so I watch that kind of thing because like, that's a, that's a, it's a trend. Definitely. Yeah. You know, and it, and it's like, what, how would that play out in Canada? You know? Yeah. I don't know. So that I like watching that kind of stuff and just paying attention to it and seeing what happens. 
And I mean, if there's, so one of the reasons, now circle back all the way to the beginning of our conversation, that's why I pay attention to the REITs, the apart, especially the apartment REITs, because what they are doing can actually be scaled down to an individual level. Like how they make investment decisions, I can mirror that. Take their systems and dumb it down to a, to a smaller scale because, uh, and it doesn't necessarily always work, but uh, you can learn a lot from how they approach markets and how they make investment decisions. Cool. I guess that's it. I don't know if what I'm saying is any, no, any it's perfect. use or whatever. This is great. And that was my conversation with William. Um, if you want to check out some of William's stuff, I'll put some links in the show notes. If you want to know more about um, investing in uh, Equiton, I'll put a link in the show notes too. Um, something else, and we covered a little bit in the beginning of, of the episode, William notes the Grant Cardone conference. It's actually something being put on by Erwin um, Cito. He hosts the Truth About Real Estate Investing podcast. He and his team have built up a network of real estate investors who are actually doing a lot more than just real estate investing now. They've grown They've grown out of, it used to be the Halton Real Estate Investing meeting, and they've grown out of that. There are members from Barry, um, Windsor, St. Catharines, uh, Oshawa, you know, out that way. And it's evolved into what is now called the Infinity Wealth Investment Network, or IWIN for short. So Irwin and his wife, Cherry, put on, uh, as a part of this IWIN group, they organized the Wealth Hacker Conference and secured Grant Cardone as the headlining speaker. And the whole conference is just about the fast, finding the fastest path to financial peace. So there's going to be a number of members of IWIN and speakers that will be sharing this strategies, the unique strategies they use to get to the success that they've had. And a lot of it will be real estate, but there's there's some business strategy, some stock option trading strategy, and then of course Grant Cardone. So and it's something like I mentioned in the episode, it's something I believe wholeheartedly in this pursuit of financial peace is something is, is my own pursuit, first of all, and then I want to help other people find the same. So I, this is why I'm promoting it so much. If you would like to check it out, wealthhacker.ca. There are three levels of tickets, VIP, premium, general, general admission. Click on either one of those. It brings you to an Eventbrite box. If you want a discount code, 10% off any ticket, can use the discount code real wealth that's all one word so wealthhacker.ca pick your ticket there'll be a link to enter uh, a link for entering your promo code at the top of the eventbrite box and you can use the discount code real wealth and i'll see you there i'm looking forward to the networking honestly i'm looking forward to meeting everybody who comes that's i think that'll be the strongest part about this whole conference just other people who are pursuing financial peace as well okay have a good wednesday